Welcome to Talent Bus, where I talk with SaaS companies on how they are doing their talent acquisition. In today's episode, I'm talking with Antti Poikolainen from Usician, and we are talking about how Usician is creating a very good candidate experience for job seekers. And let's kick things off with the fact that why creating a good candidate experience is crucial for a SaaS company. It's so important and so underrated for a couple of reasons. Well, first of all, I believe the candidate experience, it's really the first impression of a company. And you know what they say about first impressions, they last. So let's take care uh, since we have the opportunity to manage that first impression. Well, then it's also expectation management for the potential tenure of an employee. So whatever expectations are formed based on that first impression, people want to see those come a reality when they're an employee as well. Well, it's also a chance to have a competitive advantage for hiring. There's a lot of talk about, you know, the talent shortage, developer shortage. Even without such a shortage, we should explore all the avenues we have for beating the competition, getting the right people to join for our mission and supporting that. So candidate experience is one way to do that. And, you know, at the end of the day, it's also, you know, we're dealing with other humans, other people. They have their human rights. Uh, there's no reason to treat them badly just because, you know, they might not become our kind of, you know, employee. Let's make sure everyone Uh, regardless of the outcome, has a nice experience, you know, just to be kind. We can always be kind to one another. And there's a little bit of serendipity factor as well. Anything might happen down the road. So let's leave all bridges intact. Very important in the talent acquisition position and the whole field of recruitment. Yeah, good points, good points. And if if I think about kind of my past experience when when being part of the kind of recruitment process, I'm kind of personally always checking out, hey, what is good in this process, what isn't good. But personally, I'm not a recruiter, but you are. So I would love to get your kind of feedback and thoughts uh, when you joined Usician. Like what was your feeling kind of during the recruitment process? What were the things that you were kind of paying attention to? Hey, here they are doing something cool for the candidate experience. Uh, well, the fact that I had such a good candidate experience was probably one of the biggest selling points for the company. Uh, so I think I was most surprised or most enjoyed the kind of personal personal touch in the recruitment. So my um, uh, the TA lead, they have a long background in executive search. Doesn't come as a surprise that someone with that background has the ability to handle those recruitments as well. I think uh, it's a simple touch at the end of the day, but having this kind of how was everything, how was the last meeting, any questions that are come uh, on your mind between every single interview step was so important to me. Sometimes that would be just an email message after the meeting. Another times it was a kind of almost an ad hoc phone call and it felt really personal, really caring. Um, but it also helped me better prepare for the next steps and, and, and kind of reflect on my experience. It felt really personal. And, and that was one of the things that kept or even increased my motivation to join the company and give that experience to others as well. Yeah. 
I think kind of communication itself, it's a super, super big, big thing. And with that one, I, I think it's still kind of so surprising for me, like why just being an open in your communication, making sure you are doing enough communication with that one, you can basically create a good candidate experience because not that many companies are, are doing that one. But when, when we're talking about kind of different stages of candidate experience, I think most of the people are thinking the part where the interviews are happening and all that. But I think candidate experience starts way earlier than that already from the first touch point. So we, we could go through the kind of the different stages, but maybe first talk about bit like what is happening kind of before you really kind of arrive to that interview or the employer branding and how that one is affecting the candidate experience. What, what are you doing at Ucision on, on that stage? Sure. I mean, for me, the candidate experience starts the moment you first time hear from a company, uh, even before uh, you kind of look at their jobs or look at their careers messaging if you just happen to be a part of the uh, niche or a part of the potential candidate pool that could join the company. Well, I think one anecdote or one metaphor we can, we can find is that a lot of times when there's a company who is doing well with their EB, uh, they're known and they're a desirable uh, company to work for, probably they also have a strong consumer brand so probably there's a product and that reputation kind of feeds off and feeds into the employer brand as well so what we can do is is make sure that all the messaging is aligned so we have a similar kind of offering uh, in the eb side than our product represents so if you think about uses and specifically it's a music education company so there are values of playfulness creativity uh, that we want to have in the messaging. But at times there's something that we need to differentiate as well. Uh, something that's not so apparent when we are uh, selling the product for you to learn ukulele is that, hey, actually the technology that we have under the hood is, is really hardcore. Like we have people who've done their PhDs uh, or are doing their PhDs come as an intern to our company. And only then do they have the kind of... Uh, necessary knowledge to contribute to something very complex like audio recognition and, and a similar technology. So kind of getting the message aligned, but also making sure the unique strengths we have as a company are present uh, in the EB messaging. And, and you know, at some point that uh, initial touch point turns into interest and then we start to actually have the conversation and I guess we'll go on to your next question and uh, make sure we're proceeding with the agenda as you wish. Mm, yeah, I, I think it's, I was just thinking about kind of the common things on kind of candidate experience and customer experience and thinking kind of what in a big picture kind of if you should explain what creates candidate experience or customer experience and what I believe in is that a person a candidate, let's say in this, this example, they have some kind of idea what the next stage will look like. And kind of if you exceed their expectation, then you typically create a good candidate experience. 
if they really get something else that they were expecting or something was a bit better. Uh, so if we think about, let's say, the kind of the first one-to-one contact with a, a potential candidate, whether it's a message on LinkedIn or a first interview, I think a lot of candidates have the same expectation, like what is going to happen, for example, on the first interview. So how can you do something differently on that first touch point with a candidate? Hmm. That's a great question. Well, I guess, you know, maybe this is a wild answer, but I think, you know, transparency is something you can, you can do better. So I, I feel like even in a in a podcast like this, a corporate event, I think people are kind of afraid to spill the beans. They're afraid to really show what's going on. And, and they start with the most polished image of, of what they can offer. So really going with that transparency first, you you might you might be able to positively surprise somebody. And um, you know, uh, I think another one is is kind of you know if there's a lot of kind of routine stuff you need to inform, uh, maybe you can put that into a written document and really use the conversation time for for having an actual conversation, a real dialogue. I think uh, candidates will be surprised if the standard you know thirty minute screening call, the first initial touch point, you have maybe fifteen minutes or ten minutes of time for them to ask questions, not just a little hey, it's the last minute. Do you want to ask something? So really, really kind of give the candidate the ball as well. Uh, yeah, those are some ideas. Yeah. I've been asking lately for myself, like, how can you make recruitment process scalable, like really, really scalable? And for example, and as you mentioned there, for example, how can you get more out from the, let's say, first 30 minute call? And for example, can you have, let's say, on your career page, uh, a lot of information for the candidates to go through? Or for example, one question that we've got from a lot of our candidates has been, for example, regarding our finances kind of being a startup not having that much capital like how you are making sure that you can hire people how you can pay sure mm-hmm. that you can pay salaries for them uh and, and i think that comes down to first like making it scalable and then transparent as well because i think kind of the worst thing we could do is be like hey <laughs> like we are super stable company no we are not like I think it's way better to talk openly about those things. And for example, what we've been planning to do is a video around that topic. So we could use that one in our career page, really be transparent and kind of do it in a scalable way that you don't need to have one-to-one discussion with everyone. But the one question that I'm not sure about is kind of where to draw the line between being scalable and kind of having those one-to-one meetings, because I think you still cannot basically automate everything, put out a lot of content out there, type form questionnaires for the interviews and never, <laughs> never meet the person. So kind of how do you kind of draw the line between there? What parts should be kind of personal for the candidate and what parts you can kind of scale? Oh. Well, it's an interesting question, and, and I'm I'm very happy or happy you're bringing this innovative mindset into the field. I'm not sure we can learn something from your experiences and, and experiments. Uh, the I guess the kind of 
just the, the balancing equation is on the one hand just kind of validation and really okay does do they meet kind of our minimum criteria uh and kind of also maybe go over some hygienic factors like okay this is the salary budget is this something you're okay with but then on the other side it's also an opportunity to represent your company and and you know not only dig into their motivation but also increase their motivation to go through with the pipeline go through with the recruitment process and possibly join the company so I, I guess the boring answer is if, if you're still able to hire your candidates and you have enough interest, you have enough candidates, then you can, so to say, put more barriers and, and make candidate do more of the work. Uh, but, you know, it's a, it's a difficult, difficult balance to strike. And it depends, of course, on, on the role. So uh, kind of. The more senior probably you have, less opportunities, less candidates in the market. So it has to be more personal, more more white glove. And, and if there's more of a pool, then, then maybe you can have a, a more automated process. Yeah, exactly. One, one big part of kind of creating a good candidate experience is, of course, kind of collecting feedback from the candidates. Like we, we can discuss here, like, hey, in our opinion, this is a good good candidate experience. But if the candidates don't feel that way, then most likely it's it's not. So can you share a bit more? Like, how, how do you collect candidate feedback at Usician? Sure. Uh, for us, it's it's made pretty easy. So we're using a, a particular applicant tracking system, Greenhouse, and that one sends automated candidate experience surveys to everyone who kind of exits the process so it doesn't matter if they get rejected or they end up getting hired just a couple of days after they get a bunch of questions about uh, what was their satisfaction what would they improve but, but also what did they like so that's great uh, we've also noticed that when do candidates also get the update they get the news they usually if they have something to say they will also directly reply to those messages uh, I think all in all, it's very important to kind of encourage the candidate to give feedback gear or ask questions with all the messages that you do send that out. But I think this is a pretty standard way to end any update email. Hey, if any questions, let me know and have these done a couple of times. So when push comes to shove, they are they are also ready to say something because it's a, it's a tender topic for for most people, uh, changing jobs is, uh, includes a lot of emotions. So when there is an outcome you didn't want, uh, maybe you want to say something as well. Um, I think this is great for us because we also want to improve and, and we don't want to be just alone in our people, HR, ivory tower, call the shots from there. Yeah, exactly. Have you noticed and is it hard to get people to answer? For example, if I think, let's say I'm buying something and then I get this kind of generic message as a text message, like, hey, give some feedback for, for us. I typically don't give that one unless it's either a super, super good experience or kind of super bad experience. But then, for example, if someone would kind of call me and, hey, ask for my feedback, I would most likely to to kind of share that feedback. So kind of are you as well kind of collecting that feedback kind of during the process or for example, during the interviews and kind of making sure that you are getting that one from kind of all the candidates? 
Uh, I think it's absolutely correct. So if I do ask at the end of an interview, before we end a call, uh, what did you like? Was there something you changed? They're more likely to answer. Uh, same with when they do join the company and they're having their, let's say, onboarding reviews or just if we just have a casual lunch or some coffee, I do like to meet all the people who joined the company uh, as a result or relating to any processes I've been involved with. Having those conversations, it's easier for them to say. It. So, yeah, it, it does speed up collective feedback. Yeah. Is it hard to get a kind of good candidate experience if you say no to a candidate? Or is it always like those candidates who have been kind of chosen once, they always give better feedback than those that you needed to reject for some reason? Yeah, maybe there's maybe there is a correlation. I'm I'm not sure. Sure, I'd have to check check some of our data, but it, it it's kind of you can still have a good experience even though a candidate is not hired, or you can have a bad candidate experience and still hire the candidate. So both of these outcomes are are possible. So so you still need to up your game in both situations. Yeah, I was thinking about that one way. We needed to reject one one candidate um, last week. We were kind of recruiting for our our own team, and we've used a lot of um, that person's time for the recruitment process. And we were thinking a lot, like, how can you kind of make sure that the kind of feeling that is kind of left after that one is still a good. We kind of knew that we have done the whole process in a good manner good communication. We were sure that the kind of candidate experience was super good until that point. And then even though you try to do the reject call as good as possible, kind of offer help for that person and all all that, I think it's still still the hardest thing to do in the in the recruitment. But absolutely I feel the same way. And that's that's it, when you have to reject the candidate, I feel like their empathy is, is almost like a two-double-sided sword. On on one hand, you really feel bad about the rejection. You you might share their emotions and you recognize a time when you were in their shoes getting rejected. And, and, and there's so many stories on LinkedIn about getting that a rejection template message. Maybe even the name is wrong and then there's no reason for it. And it, it just feels so bad. It feels inhumane. And then... You're trying to do it for the other person as humanely as possible. So then the empathy can become a kind of advantage when you really try to see it from the other person's side and then make sure in your process everything is empathetic as possible. Let's say the rejection criteria and the decision-making process. Are we comparing candidates to each other? You know, okay, you were good, but this other guy was better. Okay, well, that's maybe not so good experience. But then, okay, we have this hiring bar, so they demonstrate these competencies with these skills, and you kind of didn't reach our hiring bar. So, okay, then there's a little bit more objectivity uh, in the field. And and then I think even the kind of recruiter's own suffering that comes from the empathy uh, becomes less when you know that, okay, this was a solid decision, uh, I know the criteria, I can agree with that criteria, so you no longer kind of feel bad because you know it's it's not the right, com- right outcome for 
not only the business, but it's not right for the person as well if you determine that, according to our best understanding, this won't work out. And, and that's a tough decision to make, but with good criteria, good decisions, and a system you can trust, uh, it reduces some of the uh, pain of rejection as well yeah. from both parties. Exactly. One, one big part of kind of candidate experience is expectation management. And I think this is important part, both in the kind of recruitment process, but then when a person start in the job, like that, the place is <laughs> somewhat what, what was shared with, with them rather than overselling the company, overselling the role, then someone joins and they, and they are like, this isn't at all what was <laughs> promised for, for me. So can, can you share a bit more kind of how to do uh, expectation management during a recruitment process? Sure. Uh, well, yeah, I, I think first and foremost is, is expectation management is comes from the innovation that, okay, we can't just be selling uh, as, as you said, but we need to be realistic and, and people, and then we also understand that people are forming these expectations. They, it's the mind job to kind of predict the future and try to adjust to it regardless if we are stating those expectations. And it's a huge decision, a new full-time job, possibly relocation, new country, new city, uh, maybe you are bringing your family. So it's better to make sure that these expectations are not only realistic, but also aligned with the candidate is looking for. So I would look at a couple of different levels. I would look at the recruitment process. I would look at the role, uh, the kind of team and department, and then the company. And if necessary, let's include the country and city as well. So five levels all in all. Well, first and foremost, the recruitment process, it's all about, you know, what are the steps in total? Okay, even during the first call, we would already go through, okay, there will be five meetings or five action points total. Uh, maybe some companies tend to only share the next step. And then, it's, you know, it'll always be a surprise. Okay, how many next steps you are? Okay, we share five steps. You'll know how much progress you've made through each part. How long does it typically take? So we can go back to our kind of hiring history. Okay, uh, this process would take two weeks. This process would take four weeks. And then how can they prepare for each of these conversations? Uh, I think it's always a good idea to share who these interviews will be with. Maybe they can do their homework a little bit better. Uh, also, when do I get feedback? If accepted, what happens next? And actually what we do already in the first call, uh, let's say the recruitment process might take three weeks, then we can share that uh, the offer phase takes maybe a couple of days, and then the relocation phase takes about two months. So even after the first meeting, we can already have a preliminary starting date, uh, which might be, let's say, three months down the road for a person who is relocating to Finland. So that is something that has maybe surprised the candidate. Okay, so you've, you've thought it really this far, and that's a, maybe a good opportunity to show some competitive advantage. Well, then the role, I think most people are, are really looking forward to what is expected of me, what do I need to deliver, and what kind of timeline, uh, what will I work on, what are the projects going on. Then, of course, the learning and development opportunities. Is there a budget? Is there a time allocation, uh, which uh, many companies are starting to have? How can I get promoted? Um, 
stuff like this, all about the role. Then not the team level part, who do I work with, who is my manager, how do they lead, and other possible stakeholders. Some positions are really very team-oriented. Uh, in our company, there's a lot of cross-team collaboration. Well, then the company, this is where the kind of usual, usual uh, company strategy, company culture, even the history, ownership values, we like to communicate these. Um, and maybe that's where the usual recruitment expectation management stops. But now we've been increasingly interested in, in how do people view Finland and how do people view Helsinki as a place to work? And I've got the many questions about, you know, okay, well, I'm moving with my family. What's a good neighborhood to live in? Or or what about the taxation at, a, at the salary rates that that is completely different than mine, for example? So at the end of the day, the recruiter's kind of toolkit when it comes to managing expectations, it can spread almost infinitely far. They, It's all about, you know, not just the work, but also living conditions and and what what would it be like to raise a family in Helsinki? So so you can go really as far as a person's life can be. But that's something we've been uh, covering here at Usician. Good stuff. Good stuff. I've been personally kind of trying to steal as many things from sales to recruitment that's kind of possible. I don't know anything about recruitment. I've recruited like a few salesperson, but that's that's all. But what I've noticed is there is kind of a lot of similarities from sales and marketing to recruitment and employer branding. And for example, the timeline is one one thing that I used to do in sales a lot, kind of already on the first discovery call with the customer, kind of go through the timeline, what is expected and all all that. And I think it's kind of super, super nice to use the same same framework in in recruitment but one thing that kind of we are kind of testing in in talent we would love to hear your your thoughts on this one we've been kind of talking about candidate experience but still a lot of companies are doing their recruitment process the same way for every candidate and some candidate might want information on other stuff uh, compared to other candidates and what we are actually testing right now i don't know yet if it will be a good idea or a bad idea. But after the first intro call, we let the candidate choose the next step. They can either, kind of, if they are already ready to go for the task phase, they can be like, hey, let's go for the task phase. Or if they want to meet a team member, they can meet a team member. If they want to talk about our employer branding services, they can meet with our founder, Siri. Or if they want to talk about what kind of customers we are working, we can have a chat about that one. And we are kind of trying out that kind of approach. What do you think on on that one? Would something like that work? I'm sure there's something we can kind of learn from there and apply to 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 our process as well. Just as a comparison point, what we we have quite the standard process for all candidates. And um, I think one of the biggest arguments is is that uh, uh, we want to be fair and and treat all the candidates in a similar fashion and and make sure they're being evaluated on the same criteria. And that being said, you know, we might still make changes to the order of the process. So at times, times we get them to meet the hiring manager first before going to a task or, or vice versa. Uh, some change that we might do for some roles, we've done this in the past that, okay, standard way would be to give a take-home assignment. But for some candidates, we change that to a whiteboarding session. So 
some ability to be flexible, some ability to cater to the candidate's uh, particular needs is definitely a plus. Uh, and we know we have there are preferences. You know, some some work well with people, some like to get that time off of for themselves. Um, this is also maybe relating to the topic of DEI and let's say, you know, neurotypical and neuro-non-typical candidates and, and how they fare in different types of interview uh, situations. So taking that diversity into account is, is something we have to do uh, in, in this profession. Um, the kind of general sentiment that you had that, okay, make sure the candidate's preference is, is heard and apply to the process, you know, whatever they have on their mind right now uh, should be catered to next, I think is great when it comes to uh, finding the right motivation for them to proceed with the process. So I feel like there's there's some some good idea there. Yeah, and that actually the kind of comment you, you mentioned regarding on kind of giving all the candidates the same kind of opportunity, that was something we we discuss a lot, and we, we see that one kind of as one one potential risk. Then what we thought was to kind of there are kind of I would say different reasons why you are doing different things. There is kind of the validation part. Uh, for example, in that case, kind of we do the same validation for for every candidate. But then, for example, there is kind of the information that candidates need because for someone changing a job is a kind of small thing, like hey. I just need to know about the role and the company. But then there are people who have worked, let's say, for a long time in a company and they want to know everything about the new place before kind of making the decision. So I would say in our case, we were thinking about kind of that part. So kind of how to give all the necessary information for the candidates who need that one. But then at the same time, like how <laughs> kind of not to give that information for candidates who doesn't care about that information. But I think it's always always a balance between between those and i think and changing a job for some it's a kind of big thing for some it's a small thing but there is always kind of feelings involved we are people we have <laughs> we have feelings uh, how kind of feelings and candidate experience go hand in hand well yeah I, it's a great topic and and i think you know Maybe if 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 I were to choose, I'm definitely in the in the kind of category where changing jobs is a, is a big thing for me, and I, I need to get all the data. Uh, so maybe you know, in general, if you think about you know whether it's you know buying a house or uh, getting a new job, it's it's such a complex thing that there's probably no perfect solution. So then you try to get the one that is good enough, and then you want to use all of the available information and emotions is one of those. So big feelings are are a part of the process, and usually, you know, there's a big change. So there are big feelings. Uh, well, I I guess you know, one of the key emotions is just you know motivation. So what is driving the change? What is driving the need for something new? And the recruitment process it can you know increase or decrease this uh, sense of motivation. But then one of the biggest obstacles is uncertainty. So, so you have those questions, you have those unknowns. There's something that's kind of not uh, something that's holding you back, producing some friction, or you're afraid to go after something. And actually, when we kind of dig deeper into the source of motivation for any particular candidate, that is usually the key for tackling the uncertainties as well. So 
for some person it will be okay if the compensation is better nothing else really matters or for some people they need to get away from a toxic environment or, or a toxic stakeholder or something like this and others just need a fresh start they want to change industries they want to change companies they want to change roles so whatever is kind of driving their motivation at that particular time when we understand that and the earlier we understand that the better candidate experience will be um and yeah, and then usually when there is a kind of sense of lack, okay, I'm not getting the growth I need, I'm, I'm, I'm bored in my daily tasks, or the company is not recognizing my efforts, this already can be a big source of motivation. So sometimes it's a lack, sometimes it's people just want to push themselves. And, and I think those, those are the key emotions. Good points, good points. But hey, then lastly, story time and learning time. First, what has been kind of candidate experience that you are most proud of kind of creating for a candidate? And what, what, what were the kind of learnings from that one that others, others could steal for creating a better candidate experience? Sure. Well, I remember a particular case. We had an open developer position we were hiring for. And we had a candidate for it who had already been with the with a similar recruitment process with our company already two times in the past. One time they didn't beat the competition, another another time they had to withdraw from the process due to personal reasons. Well, gladly both events were handled well enough that they could still consider our company for a third time, which was great foundation to build upon. So the thanks goes to the previous recruiters and the, uh, and the rest of the team. Well, now it's the third time they're applying. They go through the process. And after completing four of the five steps, we unfortunately have to know them. Okay, we're actually putting a pause on this process. Uh, we cannot finish the hire. So communicating this to a candidate that has already been disappointed by us in the past is a very delicate task. Um, I don't think there's anything... Anything that's generally applicable, everything, every situation, every context is different. Simultaneously, you need to maintain the trust, but also the motivation toward the organization. So it's, it's a very delicate task. While still, you need to respect any NDAs and, and company privacy policies. So they're still a candidate, they're not an employee, so we cannot spill all of the beans. Well, luckily, uh, with some empathy from also their side, they understood the situation and actually stuck around while we worked internally to remove the blocker. And then at some point we got back into the hiring process. Candidate was luckily still interested. We had the final interview, made the decision, sent the offer, and they were happy to accept it. And I was surprised a couple of days later to be tagged in a LinkedIn post where the candidate was doing the pretty standard gratitude post to their previous employer, excitement about the new one. But they happened to mention the recruiter's name, my name at that point, and gave me a, a small thank you as well, which was great. There was a like fantastic to see that also the recruiter's efforts were kind of appreciated. Well, if there's something to learn, well, maybe we already talked about the element of serendipity already, but I think that's important to mention. You, even though at, it's a no at that time or the candidate has to retreat or that we have to put a pause for an indefinite, 
amount of time or indefinite amount of time, anything can happen. So I think a recruiter's job is to just go around building bridges and make sure as many of those bridges stay intact as possible. I have so many candidates in my past apply again or share a reference or just give good feedback, even though they didn't get the outcome they wanted or we wanted. Uh, so yeah, being being that bridge builder, being that pioneer, uh, sometimes it hurts to give the bad news, but with the right amount of empathy, it makes our job easier. And yeah, anything can happen. Uh, you'll never know when a candidate kind of turns into an employee. Yeah, good good story. And then at the same time, kind of what what I've noticed in the market is that I feel like in the past, like like a lot of lot of companies did their recruitment, like kind of one-off project, like, hey, now we need this kind of person, let's recruit <laughs> that. But now I feel like a lot of companies are starting to look recruitment from a perspective, kind of building talent pipelines. So kind of we know that, hey, next year we will need a lot of technical people. Let's start to build relationship with those people. We don't even need to know the exact role that we will be having, uh, but really build up the pipeline Kind of similar to sales, like in sales, you don't wait until the moment, oh, oh no, now we need a new sales. You are doing sales all the time, making sure that you have new customers coming in all the time and kind of bringing that mindset to recruitment, I think is something that is is happening. But then lastly, we thought talk earlier about kind of being real on stuff. So what's the biggest fuck up on candidate experience that you have done? Yeah, it's uh, it's uh, feels very vulnerable to share it here online, but yeah, I'm happy to share it. Well, there was a time we were recruiting for a position. We had just one very good candidate in it, and they had all the necessary previous experience. And based on the CV, there's there's no reason they couldn't be hired and and succeed on the job. Well, they go through all the process, uh, all the kind of five steps we have, uh, but at the end of the day, when we had the final decision. Uh, internal meeting, we chose not to hire them. Uh, this was a kind of concern that was first raised in uh, interview number two, and then we kind of further dug into this topic in the later stages. Uh, and kind of in the last interview kind of confirmed this concern that we had. Well, when I had the kind of task of communicating the reason to the candidate, we we got on the on a, on a video call and talked that. Um, I, I failed that task and, and the candidate was left in an impression that uh, they already lost the process after the second meeting. So as a result, they thought that, okay, all the three interviews after were a waste of time. Uh, and obviously, they were also very hurt by the decision uh, and all in all just left left a poor taste in, their, in, in the after image of the process. Uh, and that obviously hurt me as well. It's 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 not how we work. Uh, if somebody fails a step, we would let them know immediately and not going to any any further steps. Uh, but then then you had when you have this feedback, you really really need to improve, and, and you have to understand that even though you make the best effort and you have the good story in your head and you have an idea on how you will communicate it. 
people see it differently. And, and, and I guess in that conversation, I, I didn't have enough empathy and I wasn't clear in my communication, even though I prepared for the talk. So that, that definitely left a mark on me and, and I had to have to step up my game afterwards. And that's a wrap for today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. Hopefully you got a lot of good ideas about SaaS talent acquisition. If you enjoyed the episode, feel free to share it on your social so others can hear it too. And if you have a topic in mind that you would like me to cover in this podcast, share it with me as well. I'm Samuel CEO and co-founder in Talently, where we help fast-growing SaaS companies in their talent acquisition. Make sure to follow us, make sure to follow this podcast and have an awesome week. Bye-bye.